Welcome to episode 141 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hello, John. Hey, Dirk. So today we're going to go on a technology trend spotting journey and... Say that 10 times fast. I can't. So we're going to see what we can see. Um, we're going to be discussing the future of transportation and logistics, and in particular, see where emerging technologies and more traditional industries are starting to overlap. I think there's always something interesting happening at the intersections there. So let's start first with supply chain automation and autonomous trucking. So when I saw that Mercedes-Benz was developing a self-driving truck called the Actros, uh, that they're claiming is more safe, more efficient for uh, long-distance cargo transport. That that really opened up a, a new view for me because in our discussions in the past for self-driving cars and the way it's been portrayed in the media and and sort of my mental model for that was always around the passenger vehicles, uh, sort of cleaning up commuting in big cities. It was never, you know, to, to me, it was it was never about uh, the transportation and logistics industry, which is really the lifeblood of this of this country, when you think about all the goods that are coming in, uh, you know, and going out, uh, whether it's uh, uh, from uh, going to Europe, coming in from China, um, the 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 trucking industry, and and also the the railways um, are are sort of what connect. Uh, you know the the tissue of our economy together. So this idea that there could be uh, autonomous trucks, uh, self-driving trucks that could be, you know, not subject to, uh, you know, getting tired like the, the driver does or, you know, the, the, all the human errors that might result in accidents. Um, that seems like a, a really wonderful area. Of course, you know, it, it also sort of begs the, the question, you know, what, what do the, uh, uh, the truckers do, and what does the trucking industry do? But, Going back to our conversation from before, exactly that's from not thirty percent of their job; that's a hundred percent of their job. So, so the Mercedes Benz demo uh, video that I saw uh, actually does have you know the driver still in the car, but for you know for periods they're letting the car sort of run itself. It's sort of an autopilot uh, type thing that that's using this forward facing radar and some uh, some cameras. Uh, to make sure you know that the truck stays on the road, and presumably they can they can be doing other things at that time. So so that's that's uh, you know we've introduced the problem of you know maybe the the human factor in there is is getting drawn out of there, and then secondly, you know we've we've also introduced the idea that you know there's the possibility of other work to be done in the cab which i don't know maybe they'll just fall asleep or maybe they'll get the, the drive all night right yeah you the know? 24 hour clock on the driving seems like an obvious one right in which case you know maybe they'll stop only you know less frequently because they're not going to be stopping over at uh uh you know quite as often um so what's your impression of this you know possible future of the autonomous truck. I mean, I always get nervous just driving <laughs> next to your regular 18 wheelers on, on the mass pike. You know, what, what, what's your take on this, Dirk? You know, I read something some months ago about a review, or I don't know if it was a review or if it was an engineer talking about it, but talking about the Google self-driving car project. Right. And the, the point that they made is that the, 
the self-driving cars would would result in possible traffic mishaps because they were essentially the only one on the road following the rules of the road. Ah. So the the self-driving car at this point in the evolution of the technology is very good at following the the the, the letter of the law. However, us humans don't follow the letter of the no, law. We don't. And complicating matters is we don't follow it in a multitude of ways. Mm-hmm. Some of us are breaking it in some ways, some of us are breaking it in others. So this the self-driving car behaving as it should would lead to mayhem mm. because nobody else is expecting that car to be right. driving the way it should. So I, these are things that will get solved, but sort of right now that's where we're at, right? Yeah, and that, it sort of complicates the implementation of these things. Right. That's an interesting uh, sort of cultural and sociological observation because, you know, when I was learning to drive and still all the time, it's it's about anticipating what other people are going to do on the road. Yeah. I mean, your ability to put your foot on the gas and your hand on the wheel, it's only, you know, like uh, what, like less than half of what it takes to drive. Yeah. The rest of it, you know, is like uh, anticipating things, figuring out where you're going to go and what you're going to do and figuring, you know, having that sort of cynical viewpoint or not cynical, you know, depending on your on the way you look at things like, oh, is this guy going to cut in front of me? Am I going to stay Step on the gas here. Am I going to go faster than I should because I need to be somewhere on time or, or uh, you know, or earlier or, or whatever? There's there's all these cultural mores, right? Driving is self-expression in some ways. The way people drive reflects something about them. Absolutely. And so unconscious self-expression. Sure. And we all know we get in the car with, you know, our friends and we know how they're going to drive. And we know their driving personality. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and so that part. Uh, you're right. You know, that, that doesn't map to, you know, ones and zeros as easily, right? It's not easily packaged. So does the Google car have the personality of, you know, the Mario Andretti Google car or, you know, the, the little old lady Google car, who knows? Yeah. Right. And then add that to the, to the trucking, you know, um, you know, you, you could see, uh, increasing complexity there. So, so I imagine that there's an awful lot of, uh, designing, with human behavior in mind, it's the same thing that happens with robotics, right? So humans, when they're working with other humans, use social cues to say when, you know, you shouldn't be disturbed or, you know, when watch out, something's dangerous or what have you. So something that Rethink Robotics has had to has to do uh, with robots that are collaborating with people on the factory floor is they have to include some of these cues and some of these safety measures so that if the robot sees that a person is coming and is not looking at them, whatever, the robot's not going to swing out an arm and, and, you know, knock them to the ground unconscious, right? right? So now you have that same problem, but you have it in the, you know, the free form. You're not in the uh, not in the warehouse anymore. Yeah. You're you're in you're in the real world in sort of the chaos of all the afternoon traffic in Boston. And physics are against you when you're moving fast on a highway compared to walking in a warehouse. I sure, mean, it's a totally different context. Right. So our second area of overlap to discuss today is is about the ride sharing industry and your old school car manufacturers. So. There was uh, an interesting uh, uh, circumstance uh, two weeks ago. GM invested half a billion dollars in Lyft, um, and you know they're they're you know part of this uh, one billion dollar round of funding uh, for Lyft. And GM is basically 
making a bet on, you know, where they think the future of the transportation industry is going to be. And they're also looking to uh, start having some sort of counter to Apple, to the Google cars we were just talking about, and to Uber as yeah. well. Um, and and so it seems to me like that was a really good combination of sort of the mainline manufacturer, the the old school GM with the new technology, the ride sharing technology of Lyft. Yeah. And so I think immediately they're going to try to leverage that with some uh, um, some car rentals that are going to be available via via Lyft that were going to be you know specialized to to GM vehicles. And then in the future, of course, you're going to have ride sharing with specially um, designed cars, you know, that are meant to be autonomous, et cetera. What's, uh, so, so you've had some great commentary in the past on, on mergers and acquisitions. What, what's your take on this move by GM? Is that, uh, uh, a good idea? Is it reflecting the future? Or is it sort of a desperate, desperate grab for, uh, uh, relevance? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't see GM's balance sheet, so I can't, I can't really say it's a good idea or a bad idea, but it superficially is a good idea. I mean, for them to diversify into other modern areas of personal ground transportation just makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't speak to the the you know the sort of the ones and zeros of the deal, but yeah, I mean, GM needs to diversify in ways like this if they want to stay relevant. Um, so good, you know, good for them. Um, the, the bigger, you know, the bigger question for me is, uh, I don't know if it's a bigger question, but the thing that I've been thinking about is I heard a, an Uber investor talking and he was just offhand saying, yeah, you know, in the future, nobody's going to own cars, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's going to own their own vehicle. And I'm really skeptical of that aspect of it. Right. Um, he hasn't been to New England. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, the, the other part of it is, um, it, listen, in, in, in a theoretical, you know, future, utopian future, there could be this network of all these different vehicles that come just in time. Right. You don't have to buy it. It sounds good on paper. But you know what? The reality is people are messy. People are smelly. People don't take care of shared property and public property. And so, you know, I ride the bus now regularly. I've, I've ridden the subway many times in my life. And oftentimes, it's unpleasant in mm-hmm. different aesthetic ways. Um, and you just, you just accept it. So it's like, this, it is what it is, right? Right now, um, the vast majority of Americans are using as transportation their personal automobile that is conforming to their sense of self and comfort. Um, so... Uh, if it's messy, it's messy because they've left it messy and in the way they want to leave it messy. Mm-hmm. Or for some people, the car is immaculate or whatever the specifics are. In this theoretical future of nobody owning cars and vehicles just showing up, I mean, what's it like when there's a, an empty bag of potato chips and crumbs all over the seat when you open the door? Right. That's not great, right? Um, so, yeah, okay, there's some easy robot technology that handles that kind of claim. Well, what if somebody pees on the seat? You know, that ain't so easy to... Right. So it's... Uh, you know, I think um, it all sounds good on paper. And, and there are different technologies probably down the path of robotics that either can today or at some point in the future will solve it. But I think, I think these, these technologists are really cavalier and ignorant of the real human social considerations mm-hmm. for how this sort of technology will, will manifest. I mean, you know, for, for me, if, 
if the vehicle comes, if I know it's going to be clean and smell good and mm-hmm. I can set the seat up so I'm comfortable, that would be fine. I don't need to own my own car. Lord knows I'd love to save the money, although probably in the, the whole totality of the system, I wouldn't end up saving anything. But let's forget that for a moment. Right. In theory, I'd love to save the money. Um, you know, in theory, I'd love to not have to deal with a car. And there's just overhead there. In, in theory, I'd like to be more helpful to the environment and certainly having some super efficient technology system is better than this inefficient thing of all of us owning a bajillion cars. But certainly where technology is today, the the user experience of that vehicle would not be up to par for me. Mm -hmm. It would take something that was, okay, I have to drive an hour commute here, but this is a nice, comfortable bubble that is just the way I want it, and I feel safe and homey here, and turns it into the, the Russian roulette of you know, what did the jackhole before me do to this thing? Right. And just having to eat it, you know? Um, so <laughs> so I, I don't think, you know, I, it's definitely not there today. You know, I, I do kind of take for granted the tech will solve it at some point. But I think it's farther out. I think these mm-hmm. Uber proclamations, ah, nobody's going to own their own. That's out. It's, it's way out. Um, just because we are filthy freaking animals who are not considerate to each other on one hand. And on the other hand, you know, we want some personal safe space and you know, shared public transportation um, just has clearly proven it ain't it. And even at the level of Uber and Lyft, I'll say I've taken, I don't know, more than 20, less than 50 rides in these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 10 to 20% were sort of environmentally unacceptable for me um, because, again, due to smell or dirtiness or weirdness you know there was one uber driver where in the backseat he had a child seat on one side oh no and then, and then on the other <laughs> you know um, so those examples aren't relevant to this exactly i'm not gonna have to worry about a child seat in this in this one but well let, um, let, let's pick up on that for yeah. a second because I, I i was thinking about that myself i mean i've you know got child seats in my in my uh you know, in my car. And, you know, that's an important part of my transportation equation for the day, uh, both at the beginning and end of the day. So, you know, there's a fairly complex system that only works because, I mean, right now, because I'm doing it, right, you know, and I have my own vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, I've got all the timing down, you know, you, you pull out one of those, one of those things there, you know, you put in a different driver, you change the timing, any of that, that there's an awful lot of vectors um, that need to be accounted for from, you know, the amount of traffic on the mass pike at a certain time of day to, you know, where you park uh, in, in, in the parking lot. So you have just enough time to go and, you know, get your, uh, your child and, and not, not a second more or a second less. Yeah. So, so there are an awful lot of areas that need to be accounted for that, you know, it's not quite as simple as, as ride sharing, um, anymore. That does beg the question though, are we seeing the commoditization of, you know, the, the automobile as a platform? We saw it with computers, right? So right. the software ends up being the customization layer, the, the, the layer that, you know, uh, that, that people use to get things done. And then the, sort of the core hardware becomes this commodity um, that is, you know, not quite as uh, special anymore. So cars have always been very special, you know, especially for Americans. Um, and our love affair with cars, I doubt, is going to end anytime soon. So uh, it's interesting to see that, that force at work. 
Um, you know, you've got the Route 66, you know, the 1950s, the big fins, the classic cars, the whole history of the automobile wrapped up in Americana. And then on the other side, you have the, oh, well, this is more efficient and it's greener. And, you know, maybe you don't own your own car, but boy, isn't that, you know, it gives you money to do other things. Um, so there's a tension there. I don't know how it resolves itself, uh, but but it, it it seems to me like there's a possibility that we're looking at the commoditization of, uh, you know, the car platform. If not today, then maybe, you know, a couple decades in the future. Or maybe the further commodification, right? I mean, sure. now, you know, I think most people drive Hondas and Toyotas, right? I mean, they're driving vehicles that are almost by definition commodity vehicles, mm-hmm. albeit um, a commodity that costs tens of thousands of dollars. Sure. Um, you know, how does that keep getting boiled down to the point where, you know, it's like, it's like little smart cars, um, flying around that don't cost very much, but yeah, it it definitely could take it to a different level. So, so you said the the word flying cars, which brings us to our, our third sort of overlap of, uh, technology and, and traditional industries today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about drones and the possibility of automated passenger vehicles, uh, as drones. So there's a uh, Chinese company called Ehang. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, and their model uh, Ehang 184 uh, is a human carrying drone. Uh, and they've got a concept video uh, online on YouTube. And, you know, they're an established, you know, unmanned area area aerial vehicle maker in China. So, you know, they've, they've proven they can do this at, you know, sort of a small scale. And the, the concept video is interesting because they show all of their prototypes sort of crashing and things like that. I'm not sure if that... That sounds know, good. Yeah. Uh, so Sign I don't know if that, if that makes me feel better or not. But if, if, if you consider for the moment that it, you know, seems, seems possible that this uh, multi, um, multi-blade... Uh, a helicopter-like vehicle drone uh, could be your automated vehicle. So, so you're you're not in a car necessarily, but you're you're in the air now, and you could be uh, flown to your your destination, presumably a little quicker than you know maybe waiting in traffic, or maybe there's air traffic now, which would be frightening. Uh, but but for me, that particular overlap of of the sort of the automated vehicles with the uh, um, with the drones, which we've talked about at length, uh, you know, that 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 opened up, uh, you know, that opened up my mind a little bit because never in my wildest dreams, you know, I, I thought Amazon would be maybe delivering a package to my door one day. Yeah. But I was not thinking that a drone would set down in my driveway and say, OK, hey, it's time to go to work, you know, climb on in. And I'll tell you right now, I have. I would be claustrophobic in one of those things. There's no way they could make that thing big enough uh, that it would make me feel comfortable. Uh, but you know, what's 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 your your take on this? You know, human carrying drone, Dirk. Here's a prediction: by the time you and I retire from our professional careers, there will not be human carrying drones. You don't think so? Flying? No freaking way! Look. There's a physics issue here and an energy issue. I mean, it's 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 you know it's relatively low energy to put us in a car and roll it on a mm-hmm. road. It is so high energy to pick us up, fight against the physics. Right. And I mean, it's it's uh, I, I don't I'm not a scientist, so I can't speak to it. But I venture to guess it's an order of magnitude more expensive energy wise, mm-hmm. um, both from dollars and cents, but also from global environmental impact to fly us as opposed to just roll us down the road. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, I don't think I don't think we're going to see it until there's major um, major innovation on the energy side, and even then we might be so far down the ass end of global warming that even that more efficient thing is too expensive to enable us to do it. I mean, we've got to get to the point where it's you know energy neutral basically sure. to be transporting people around and. Uh, energy neutral flight? I don't know. I mean, maybe there's technology out there that I'm just not aware of, but I think that's way the hell off. You and I are going to be rolling around until we're 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 kicking we'll it, brother. Rolling. Yeah. So you know, maybe our kids or somebody else will will enjoy technology like that. We're a long, long way away from that being more than just concept videos of crashing drones. Right. So so I do think there will, there might be some specialty areas that could use this. So I could see it being used uh for like medical evac for instance. Uh you know in or or you know remote areas or you know on the highway when you need to get someone to the hospital very quickly. I could see emergency use, military use, Maybe. but but Maybe. for general use I agree there's you know it doesn't seem uh really feasible at least in the next decade or so. And even in most emergency cases, right? I mean, when, when somebody's ill and needs to be medically evac, they really need a medical professional there present with them, sure. right? So yes, I think there are probably some corner cases in those areas where it all aligns to make sense. But I even think most of the time it doesn't make sense there. It's like the helicopter can bring a few people there. There's some infrastructure. There's mm-hmm. some equipment. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O dot com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Or email me, Dirk, at GoInvo.com. So that's it for episode 141 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.